Okay, so hi everybody and welcome back to yet another episode of Faith Brunel's Insights. I'm Faith Brunel and today I'm joined by Adana. Adana, how are you today? I'm fabulous, okay. I'm having a lighting issue, everybody. There you it's go, fine. carry on. Um, I'm fabulous. Um, Wonderful. Literally just got back from Morocco. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a really good trip. Spent five days there for my friend's wedding. So I'm feeling a, really relaxed. Um, I'm going back to work tomorrow. So it carries on going, but all together, <laughs> really good. Really, really wonderful. Good. I'm glad to hear that, and and I hope that you had a wonderful trip. I hope you had a wonderful trip in Morocco. I hope that it was relaxing for you as you head back to work tomorrow. It was. It was. <laughs> I'm it glad. Was. No, I definitely needed the break, but yeah, it was. It was amazing. That's what I always say to the listeners as well. It's good to have a work life balance as well to have time for yourself because if you're constantly just pushing yourself to study, to work, to do whatever you're doing, you can sometimes feel quite burnt out. And so that's one of the episodes I was doing recently in my series, Work and Study Smarter, Boosting Your Productivity, was to actually delve right into the crux of burnout and how to really how to develop some strategies and some frameworks by which to deal with that. Um, but yeah, so Adana, talk to me a little bit about your journey. Uh, from being a head family law paralegal to aspiring to become a barrister specializing in family law because this is very impressive but can you tell me a little bit about the pivotal moments or experiences that led you to this particular career path oh wow loaded question um, <laughs> yes the thing is um I didn't start off with family law mm-hmm. at all um I was more so very very passionate about criminal law yeah um, I think when you see the crime dramas, you see everything, you're just like, wow, yeah, I want to be that, I want to be that. Yeah. Um, but I started off mainly um, in criminal law. Um, and then something really crazy happened with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID-19 was a very, very daunting period for people all across London, all across the, the globe. Mm-hmm. So many people died. So many people didn't have access to basic necessities. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back at this now, I realized that this was one of the things that led me to have an interest in families generally. Yeah. I didn't know it at the time, mm-hmm. but now I know it looking back. Um, and I remember being in my room um, and I was just like, you know, there's so many people, especially from low socioeconomic backgrounds yeah. that are suffering mm-hmm. financially because of COVID-19. Definitely. People are on furlough. Uh, mum and dad don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, even in school, speaking to so many head teachers, they, they literally said that those from lower economical backgrounds mm-hmm. were doing worse in school. Yeah. And they link that to COVID-19. So I remember I was sitting in my grandma's house and I was just mm-hmm. like, you know what, I need to do something about it. So that's what started the Response UK. Now the Response UK, it's its main element was to mm-hmm. basically help families. Yeah. Um, and looking back at it now, I realized that with family law, how I'm studying it now or how I'm mm-hmm. doing it, I should yeah. say, it was always a passion to help families. Even though that didn't move me, even when I was doing the Response UK, I was still all about criminal law. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm going to be a criminal law barrister. <laughs> um, but then what happened after that is I got a scholarship, yeah. which I'm going to ask me about later. But I had, a, I, had I got a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the exercises in the scholarship was to do a public speaking exercise. Barristers call it advocacy. Yeah. And in that, uh, we had to do a non-molestation order. Non-molestation order being domestic, when someone alleges domestic violence against another mm-hmm. person. I looked at the brief. I was just like, I love this. Yeah. And from there, it all came together. So I was midway through um, doing my BTC and mm-hmm. everything just started to connect. To line up, yeah. Yeah, just started to line up. And I was just like, wow, family law. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. So that's why I'm here now. I'm yeah. 
family law paralegal and I want to be a family law barrister well done and clearly and clearly I can really like see the passion coming through you can, I can really see the passion emanating through your very body language as well how you're really enthusiastic yeah. to talk about <laughs> families and indeed the familiar setting is important because if you come from a family that's a broken home broken family it, it can definitely have an impact on both your mental health but also in terms of your academic journey and success as well and we you know there is across the board there is statistics and studies that do show that children who are from a broken family or from a broken home do suffer more as well that's not to neglect the other obviously the struggle of those who haven't got a broken family but there is something that does set them apart because they might not have had that familiar support or that framework by which they felt supported into and I'm sure you know as you mentioned as well going reverting back to COVID that was you know that was really um, ushered in a paradigm shift and um, you know in terms of internationally paradigm shift because even myself I was you know I was actually impacted because I didn't actually sit for my A-levels I was part of the COVID cohort and then I actually I started reading politics at King's College London in the midst of COVID-19 in my first year I had two weeks of in-person like, teaching and study and then I, I was put online and so it did actually alter the way I was learning and so they, there was an impact because you know everything became digital everything was moved online and so some students are actually now talking to universities and saying that my experience wasn't what I expected to which is another topic but yeah thank you for sharing about you know that, that, that kind of that the inception of and the context behind the inception of Response UK thinking about you know why you actually so passionate about families as well and you know I, you know I can say as an inspiring barrister myself sometimes we actually when we're thinking about our career we think that we want to do a particular type of law but then we're actually exposed to certain experiences that actually cause us to reconsider that and say hang on let me do yeah. something else and that happens to myself as well I wanted to do commercial law because I undertook a bright law a bright network law internship in commercial law and I said actually it was good but then I actually um you know I, I, I did some research about human rights law international law and that was what really piqued yeah. Interest, yeah. and that's where we are now and um, I actually want to talk to you about your scholarship as well because I'm you know congratulations on acquiring a scholarship because I know law is competitive um but talk to me a little bit about the scholarship talk to me about kind of what that actually entailed for you and how that actually helped you to propel your journey to becoming a you know to being an aspiring barrister amazing um the scholarship was very very pivotal because for me a lot of um opportunities came out of that scholarship for yeah. me I remember my friend she went to basketball before me so she got the scholarship as well mm-hmm. um, and she was just like Adan I really feel like you should apply for this um and it's called the past scholarship with the inner temple yeah um I love the inner temple the inner temple is so inclusive mm-hmm. uh, they see you for where you are and they want to bring you along they want to make you better yeah. um, so I applied for the scholarship I was successful in getting the scholarship um, and a lot of the scholarship what it entailed essentially mm-hmm. was just networking so yeah. you would speak to barristers you would mm-hmm. speak to judges um, and that really um, allowed the experience of law to be much closer to yeah. me mm-hmm. I grew up in a council estate yeah. um, but all of my parents were academics my mom's an academic my dad is an academic uh, my brothers are academics as well yeah but it was still that feeling of being so distant yes. from law mm-hmm. so distant so yeah. it's like even if I had a passion I mean a levels I did very very well in a levels mm-hmm. uh, but the, the doors just kept getting shut. So yeah. it's like, I would apply here. And they'll be like, you know what? We really loved your CV. But, we really loved yeah. the interview, but yeah. you weren't successful. Yeah. So it, doors were just shutting. So this scholarship was, alongside my BTC, the course, was one of the times where I, I actually had a foot in the room. 
Mm -hmm. I was able to see a barrister that's been practicing for 20 years across from me. Mm -hmm. I mean, able to speak to judges. Um, and I, I really built a connection with a, with a particular judge in the criminal and family courts. And he actually allowed me to marshal for him and wow. um, that was that that was one of the most distinctive um opportunities that I had because as mm -hmm. I said before, everything was just closed doors right. uh, but he really said you know what you're a really bright girl I see that you're so passionate about mm -hmm. criminal law and family law come and marshal so I marshaled for two weeks mm -hmm. uh, and my confidence in the space of law mm -hmm. really increased dramatically and that yeah. all came up with the scholarship um, and, and I would say anyone that's pursuing a scholarship um, even though it may not be monetary, mm -hmm. as if you don't get, because you know there's some scholarships where you end up getting money yeah. in the end. And there's sometimes with scholarships where you just enter into a room. Mm -hmm. uh, and people sometimes neglect those scholarships because they're not paying them anything. Yes. Uh, I would really encourage anyone, get in the room. Yeah. Like, you don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know what conversations you will have. Mm -hmm. uh, you do not know what opportunities will come from that. Um, and I'm really glad that I took on the scholarship. And with the scholarship as well, with the Inner Temple, you also get a mini pupillage as well. So mm -hmm. I just completed the mini pupillage about three or four weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so the scholarship was definitely beneficial. And mm -hmm. I would definitely say anyone that is going into the, the Inner Temple, definitely apply for the Park Scholarship <laughs> or any scholarship. It's worth it. Yes. Yeah. I think it's important actually that you do make that really important point because sometimes we can um, intrinsically overlook, you know, the, 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 you know, you know, we can intrinsically overlook scholarships that aren't, that aren't monetary, as you said, because sometimes in our immediate thought and, you know, it's not a bad thought to have because law, you know, your fees are expensive, especially if you're going to do a master's, you know, your student finance will, will only cover one postgraduate course and then it's self-funded unless you get a scholarship. So sometimes in the back exactly. of your mind, subconsciously, you're like, oh, I, just need, I need money to be able to to be able to study but as Adana's just said and I will reiterate that do not neglect or overlook the scholarships that might not necessarily be monetary but as you said you've got into the room and actually you know upon you know upon, upon reflecting and listening to your story I actually wrote down two words the first one was exposure and the second one was networking because both of those coming together and actually catapulted you and put you into the right position because if you weren't exactly. in the room if you weren't able to network you wouldn't have had the the mini pupillage you know you, you wouldn't have had um those actually experiences as you said to you to marshall for two weeks and now and you know as i said you know in law every experience is worthwhile i remember i, I um in january of this year i actually attended an event um, um held by the combat association in london and that was very insightful because i got to network with like-minded individuals and i actually have a i have a mentor who is a king's council so every time we meet we talk about what we need to do in terms of you know where i am in terms of applications and looking forward and shoot and, and truly adana you've really um demonstrated to myself the listeners that there is an importance of just putting yourself out there as you said because it would have been easy for you to just say you know what I've been you know born in a council state you know I can't do this you know and imposter syndrome could have easily taken over and that's actually a question that I haven't actually given you but as I said to you before we started I like to just pop questions in now talking thinking about imposter syndrome um so personally have you ever experienced it if so how have you overcome it but even if you haven't experienced it what tips would you give to aspiring legal professionals aspiring professionals as a whole in different sectors who are experiencing or kind of battling with imposter syndrome perfect you know i was actually going to interject you and in speak about imposter syndrome i'm glad I believe that that's one of the main barriers that stop people from exposure yeah. and getting into the room mm -hmm. um i remember in um the inner temple the scholarship there was mm -hmm. a dinner that we had to attend mm -hmm. now there is still 
um, some sort of limitation limitations ethnically yes. regarding people in the bar. That's course, something yeah. that is well known. Mm. Um, and obviously there are, that's why I love the inner temple so much because mm. they are essentially bridging that gap. Yeah. Um, I remember walking into this room, I saw about three people that looked like me. Wow. The first thing that came to mind, which was just an immediate response was, wow, I don't belong here. Mm. Mm. Literally the first thing. Yeah. And I remember I was, I was with my friend and we were just like, we looked at each other and we said, no, we're going to speak to everyone. Yeah. Like literally going to speak to everyone. And that was one of the, my main reasons or one of my main motivations for overcoming imposter syndrome yeah the thing is is that yes um even as a if if, if you're if you're a black female and you're listening to this mm. um there's not many like us in the bar at the moment yeah. however that reality doesn't stop us from stepping out of the com- our comfort zone yeah it doesn't stop us from actually being like, yeah, do you know what? I'm actually going to speak to somebody that looks nothing like, like me. Yeah. And I remember going in there, um, Leslie Casey was there mm-hmm. from Garden Chambers. Yeah. And I remember speaking to so many kings, queen councils at that time. Yeah. To so many different barristers and they were absolutely amazing. And they right. were just, they just wanted to embrace me. Any questions I had, whether silly, or not, they just wanted to embrace me. So one of the things that I would say for overcoming imposter syndrome is you have to move out from fear. Yes. You have to. Because fear can be crippling, yeah. Fear is crippling. Mm. Fear destabilizes, fear minimizes. Um, But it it, it takes a lot to say to yourself, um, regardless of the experiences that I've heard, Mm-hmm. the experiences that I'm encountering I'm going to get out there and yeah. I'm going to and 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 I'm going to believe in myself so much to start a conversation with someone that looks nothing like me exactly yeah and, and even in my work because I do have a senior role as a paralegal I'm mm-hmm. always speaking to barristers always speaking to people that are different than me yeah. um, and if I was in fear I wouldn't be working as well as I'm working now exactly so to anyone who's um, imposter syndrome has been a cycle that you've been mm-hmm. going through. I would say it takes a lot of courage to just say it's not going to have any form yeah. of over me, and I'm going it's time to, just to break it up. now. Yeah, it's time to I'm break gonna... that cycle of imposter syndrome. And obviously, yeah. it's not as easy as you know, it's not as easy as waking up one day. But there, it, it, it's, a, it's a journey, as we always say on the favorite yeah. podcast. It's not an event; it's a journey. But your journey can begin now to break that cycle to imposter syndrome. And if you if you do need help, there are services out there. You know, there's a lot of counseling services people have benefited from. So you know, do seek the help you need, and don't be ashamed to admit that you need support as well. Because as Adana said, you know, walking into a room and seeing people who you look nothing like you something I'm very familiar with but it, it shouldn't be something that stops you it should be something that says actually I have a unique perspective to offer here so I, I I'm gonna go in as he said network and socialize and as you said you know these people weren't even nasty you know they were nice people that answered your questions even if you thought they were silly questions but if you'd let your mindset be kind of if you'd let all those negative thoughts stop you you wouldn't be here today you wouldn't have been recommended by the right honorable Oliver Dowden you know as one of the best public speakers that he's in 
encountered, which is a significant achievement. But if you yeah. let your imposter syndrome stop you, you would literally not be here now. So thank you for actually yeah. shedding some light on imposter syndrome, because I always focus, I always maintain that it's really important that you're mentally, you know, that you're mentally able and you feel that your mental health is being prioritized. Because at the end of the, at the, end of the day, a degree is a degree, but it shouldn't come at the cost of your mental health, because I think that you have to make sure you're there. Yeah. De- definitely and, and and i would even add on to that mm. and i would say imposter syndrome sometimes is the manifestation of fear to make mistakes yeah um, fear to get things wrong mm-hmm. and throughout my career now i'll be lying if i said that i haven't made mistakes yeah literally i have made mistakes mm-hmm. but when the mistakes happen i'm like oh well no one died you know yeah actually died um and that has taught me so much about being bolder because yeah. Sometimes when we want to keep ourselves in, mm-hmm. it is a manifestation of the fear that, oh, I may actually get this wrong or, oh, I may actually look stupid yeah. or oh, I, I, I may, people may see that I'm not adequate. But for anyone watching, so what? Mm-hmm. You know, literally every mistake that you make, be introspective yes. and just be like, oh, I've made this mistake. And obviously people that are even young in their careers that haven't done their BTC yet, mm-hmm. this is the perfect time to make mistakes so that you yeah. can learn and you don't make them again. That's um, true. So definitely imposter syndrome, it is very difficult. It mm-hmm. is a cycle, but take the first step of saying, I'm not going to allow this to control me. Exactly. Wonderful thoughts there and insights from you, Adana, on a topic that we never even planned to discuss, but God knows everything. So it just cropped up in my mind. Yeah. So I thought yeah. I'm going to ask uh, you. Um, so as we mentioned that you were commended by the Right Honourable Oliver Dowden as one of the best public speakers he's encountered. That is a significant achievement. I just like take a moment there to just acknowledge that is a significant achievement. Thank you. <laughs> um, but can you just provide some insights into effective public speaking, especially when, you, when you're addressing important topics like, you know, you know, like like anything really like especially like reforms for hate crimes as well which is something that is unfortunately you know prevalent in society but can you talk to us about kind of some of your your structures or what you actually do in preparation for that as well okay perfect um I'll say three things mm-hmm. three things I think this this is suitable because we just came off the back of a conversation yeah. concerning syndrome but the first thing is confidence and courage yeah um and, and I'll break that into two things number one you have to know your audience yes know who you're speaking to so I remember going in their patchwork scholarship and yeah. um, one of the managing directors phoned me and they were like, like you know what like we, we we've seen you mm-hmm. uh, whenever we joined together we really want you to lead this presentation to write honorable um Oliver Dowden and I was just like <laughs> whoa like, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to do this yeah um and I, when that happened mm-hmm. um I was I had to kind of work myself up in confidence essentially um and I remember jotting down what exactly what what it, what it was I was going to speak about um and it goes into my two points I'm waffling number one <laughs> know the audience yeah know the audience Mm-hmm. so in this particular situation whenever you're speaking to anyone know who you're speaking to essentially yeah. so here I was speaking to a panel of esteemed people speaking to the founder of the patchwork foundation I think he's retired now mm-hmm. right honorable Oliver Dalton. and I think there was another um it was the head of Segro wow. um and they were really interested um concerning hate crime policies they were very very interested as well interested as well concerning um COVID-19 mm-hmm. and the way that creativity um, the, the the creative industry had been impacted because of yeah. COVID-19. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so first thing I had to reckon is who's my audience? Yeah. Um, and in that, that allowed me to communicate certain messages to them. Yeah. The second thing after knowing the audience is know the message. Mm-hmm. When I was doing my advocacy, because in, in the BTC, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're trained in advocacy. And yeah. I remember my teacher said to me, she was just like, how long do you think people take um, to drift off whenever you're yeah. speaking? Mm. Um, and I think she said something, I think it was less than five seconds. She said it's wow. less than five seconds. And literally what she was telling us is get straight to the point, yeah. essentially. So when you know your message and you know exactly what you want to communicate and you know the ethos behind what you're saying, people just pick it up. Mm. Literally, because the human brain naturally wanders everywhere. Yes, it does. Um, so once you know your message and you know who you're speaking to, mm-hmm. uh, they're able to come back and they'll be like, wow, that was very impactful. Yeah. She knew exactly what she knew exactly who we were, mm-hmm. and she knew the message that she was trying to communicate. So when I was doing the speech, those were literally my three points: confidence, know the audience, know the mm-hmm. message. Um, and once I start, even in public speaking, even in advocacy, because I do a lot of advocacy as a barrister as well. Yeah. Um, but as as I, I I literally just keep ruminating those principles, mm-hmm. um, and they've always proved effective. Yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah. Those principles are definitely principles that need to be reiterated as well, because when you research your audience, it shows them that you are interested. It shows them that you are engaged and that you are someone someone that that they can buy into and give, you know, they can give you their time as well um, and their energy. Because as you said, the the human brain does wander. Sometimes we are sitting there and then we find ourselves just wondering about random things that have no (laughs) relation or, um, you know, correspondence to what we're doing. But that's just part of life. And just finally, before we end this interview today, I want to talk to you a lot about, um, well, a bit about, because this is where we're ending here but about your non-profit organization which you actually made reference to in the beginning uh called the response uk which is very inspiring and interesting could you just briefly talk to us about its mission about its mission and some of the impactful outreach activities you've conducted especially during the covid19 pandemic yeah so the response uk was active um its sole purpose was for covid19 mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm currently um revising things to how to mm-hmm. bring it to modern day yeah um there's a lot of different networks that I want to bring into mm. um, those ones UK. But essentially our mission in COVID-19 was basically um, to provide essentials to families that were affected in COVID-19. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said previously, um, people from lower socio- socioeconomic backgrounds were gravely affected by yeah. COVID-19, whether it mm-hmm. be their attendance whether whether it was even them getting the virus mm-hmm. things like overcrowding things like parents not being able to feed their children because they didn't have basic things I'm talking about people in poverty yeah uh, in this um and, and my heart really broke for the family system mm-hmm. one thing that I always say is that the family system is the bedrock of society break the family down you've broken down society so that's why I'm so passionate about family mm-hmm. law I'm so passionate about children, um, who children get to live with, whether it's them emotionally, psychologically. But one thing that COVID-19 was is that it was definitely detrimental to the family system. And what I found is that the government had little to give Mm. in response to that. So I really wanted wanted to be the person to help to provide um, Mm. things. Bridge that gap. Yeah. Right. So one thing that we did is that we did a big outreach at school mm-hmm. in, re- in a school in Reach Academy. I was when we were giving um, parents hampers. Uh, I would speak to parents 
parents some parents will cry mm-hmm. some parents she just say what their home situation was but right. the consensus of everything was that people were gravely impacted by mm-hmm. COVID-19 um, and they felt like they weren't seen so yeah. the response was essentially to allow them to know listen you are seen and there are people who are there to help you and to assist you as well that's very true, Donna. Well, thank you for that very inspirational speech towards the end, actually. It's really, really captivating <laughs> no myself. It really captivating no. in terms of what you're doing in your journey as well. Because, you know, COVID-19 did actually, it did, it did reveal a lot of cracks in the surface of, of the familial setting as well. And, you know, there are a lot of stats as well where people who, uh, people got divorced after COVID. Yes, but I have to say that there were benefits of COVID-19 in terms of being more technological diverse and developing technology, etc. But there was, exactly. you know, there was a disadvantage of like, the, you know, looking at the divide, you know, the digital divide where some, um, some children never had access to technology, where, you know, when you know their peers were online they couldn't join them online etc etc so you know really it's really identified to me and become apparent to me that the response UK was fitting I'm sure there's definitely going to be space for that now because there's still the post-COVID effect where some people are still actually struggling because of COVID and they're still trying to navigate and really reintegrate themselves back into society but Adana thank you it's been great to speak to you about your very inspirational intriguing engaging journey um you know as a black as a black female barrister it's really really great to hear your perspective on things as well and saying that you know and one key takeaway I'd say for myself is that imposter syndrome shouldn't be it shouldn't be a blockage it shouldn't stop you but you should you know break that cycle and push yourself out of your comfort zone so everybody thank you this has been another episode on the Faith Brunel's Insights podcast I hope you really enjoyed it and find it very enthralling and engaging I certainly have um, been listening to Adana's inspirational and it's really uh, her journey has really piqued my interest as an aspiring barrister so without further Dear everybody, this is your host, Faith Brunel, and I'm signing off. Bye-bye.